Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Our Heavenly Father has been pleased to give us many, many stories in Scripture that are poignant, pointed, very clear. And a lot of those stories are about families. And so you have the prodigal son. You have the son that says to his father, give me my inheritance. And then he goes off and lives uh, a decadent, uh, sinful life. But you also have real stories. You have the story of, uh, of Samuel and his sons, of Enoch, who walked with God and was no more. You have the story of Lot and his wife and his daughters. You have the story of Noah, um, David, even down to the statement about one of his sons. Is it Athaliah, David? Or what's the name of the son? Azariah or? No, no, it's not Absalom. Um, Anyhow, one of his sons, it says that his father never refused him anything. And so scripture is very, very specific. And then when the Lord found him, he was saying, the woman that you gave to me, she gave me of the fruit and I ate. And then he went to the woman and she said, the serpent deceived me. And there was absolutely, in the Garden of Eden, no accepting of responsibility. In the Garden of Eden, there was you, the perfect victim. You know, it's my daddy, it's my mother, it's my pastor. Is my mother and my father and, oh Lord, and it ain't me standing in the need of prayer. Everybody else needs prayer. Everybody else needs to repent. Everybody else has violated you. And really, God, it's the woman that you gave to me. Really, God, it's you. I am a victim of you, God. You see? Now, we'll read the text, but I want you to come to this text realizing that the terrible problem we have in this church not to mention the problem of Bloomington and the United States, is that none of us understand the holiness of God and his authority. And none of us understand our depravity. That we are, every single part of us, from our reason down to our big toe, Every part of us has been corrupted by the fall of our federal head, Adam. And this has not escaped God's notice, and this is how he set things up, okay? So let's get into it. Stand, please, as we read Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, and then we're going to skip over to Genesis 3, 1 to 13, okay? This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it and your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Now, the garden, everything's perfect in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve in harmony. All the trees of the garden they can eat. They're to exercise dominion over the animals. It's a Mediterranean climate, but the fecundity of the Midwest. So it's like the weather of San Diego, but the green of the Midwest, right? It's beautiful. And they're in harmony. They're naked. They're unashamed. It's, ha, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha because she was taken from Ish. Right? It's beautiful. And in that perfection, God does something that doesn't really make a lot of sense, right? God says, you may not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, why did God say that? We just accept it because we know it happened, but why did God say it? Well... Did God say it because God didn't want Eve to be like him? Did God say it because God was insecure in his position and authority? Was it just a power trip of God? You know, I think I'm going to say no to one thing. Why did God forbid one tree? It's perfect. Let well enough alone. You know, don't limit my appetite. But God says, wait, wait, I'm not. You have every tree in the garden but one. Yeah, but what if I want the one? And so we look at God and we say, what's the the deal? Why don't you just let them eat the one? Do you have to go and put a fly in the... You have to put a burr under the saddle? And why do you think God did it? Calvin calls this rule, this one rule, he says it's the first lesson in obedience. 
In other words, the reason God said that they could not eat of that tree is that God was pleased to rule through his authority. And in the state of perfection, God made a point of his authority. Do you see this? It was part of perfection that authority be clear. That they were to look to God for everything that they needed in life. And that in everything they did, they were to demonstrate that they looked to him. That they trusted his word. That they looked to him for provision. That it was their perfect delight to obey God. Now it's very important that you beat this into your brain. Because everything in your world today hates authority. And so feminists, for instance, will tell us that Adam and Eve were equal in the garden and then they became unequal after the fall. And it's after the fall that Adam had authority over Eve. And then they'll go to the Trinity and they'll say that the only time when Jesus submits to his father is in his incarnate form, right? And the implication is that in order to lower himself to deal with sinful man, he also had to come under his father in a way that was never intended. They won't quite come out and say that, but that's what they're really saying. In other words, the whole world is saying that authority is the result of the fall. And that when we come out from under the corrupt creation that we live in, there will no longer be authority. In heaven, there won't be authority. And I say, there won't be? There won't be authority of God in heaven? And you say, well, I suppose there will be authority in heaven, but, but you won't even notice. Because you'll just be filled with praise of God. And so here we are before the fall. It's in the Garden of Eden. And do you see Adam and Eve just filled with praise of God and not noticing? No. What you see is immediately that a negative command is given. You shall not eat of that tree. What happens? Well, what happens is that Satan takes the form of a serpent. Now, it doesn't say Satan is in the serpent here in the text from Moses, but it does in other places. So Satan takes the form of a serpent. Why a serpent? Because you remember Jesus said, remember what he said to his disciples? He said, we are to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. Okay? So Satan takes the form of a serpent, and Satan comes to Adam. Now, why did he come to Adam? He came to Adam because it says in Corinthians that man is the glory of God and that woman is the glory of man. And so if you want to get at God, you don't go to the woman, you go to the man. Because it's when the man falls that the race and the creation fall, right? Because the man is the glory of God. Satan hates God's glory. And so he goes right after Adam because Adam is the federal head of the race, not Eve. And you're saying, well, no, he didn't go to Adam. He went to Eve. And I say, oh, don't make a mistake here. He went to Adam 
You say, no, 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 says Eve. I say, okay, okay, look at the text. Here's what it actually says. It says in verse 7, do you see verse 7 there? It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. Do you see the word then? When does the word then come? Does it come after Eve eating of the tree? No, 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 no. It doesn't come until after Adam eats. It is when Adam eats, then, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. You see, what's going on here is Satan knows the perfect approach to Adam is through his wife. You tell me anything a man is more vulnerable to than his beloved wife. There's nothing. I remember having been attacked year after year, month after month, day after day, hour after hour at a former church I was at. And basically kind of just grinning and bearing it. And then came the day that an elder came in my office and said to me that my wife was, was, was not appreciated by some of the older women in the church. And somehow, I didn't have so much equanimity anymore. You touch my wife and you touch me. Amen? Eh? <laughs> Unless my wife is over in Iraq fighting and I'm back here taking care of the kids. Satan is no fool. And what Luther and Calvin both indicate, and one of them actually says, is that Satan came to Adam as through a mine. You know, you can be out on the battlefield and your enemy can tunnel under and all of a sudden blow you up from underneath. That's what's happening with Adam. I need another one of them, please. (coughs) Do you have one? I'm sorry. I can just tell what my voice is going to do now. Thank you, dear brother. And I don't believe in cough drops. But he gave me one in the first service, and lover, I hate to admit it, it worked. (laughs) And so he comes at Adam from underneath. His goal is Adam, but he comes at Adam through Eve. And so he comes to Eve, and what does he say to Eve? Flip up one, please. He says to Eve this. Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Now, Satan is, is a perfectionist with the English language. But he didn't speak English. But you know what I'm saying. Has God really said that you can't eat from any tree? Now, we all know that's not what God said. God said, yes, you may eat from any tree. There's only one you may not eat from. So Satan's sneaky. Satan says, has God really said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And what we see is that Eve does a perfect job of responding. Because Eve says, well, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, In other words, no, no, we're allowed to eat them, from them. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, that one tree, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And some people want to say, well, 
<coughs> Eve was wrong to say you may not touch it because that's not what God said. He said you couldn't eat from it. And I say if a mother says to her child, you're not to have any of those, don't you, you're not, you're not to eat a cookie. Don't, don't you, don't you dare touch those cookies. You stop looking at those cookies. <laughs> or say the mother says, you're not to eat any of those cookies, and then the older sister sees touching the cookies. Mommy said, don't touch those cookies. Don't you look at those cookies. What are you going to do? You can come in and say, don't you add to my words. <laughs> and flip it up, please. No, down. Look at this. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, saw the eyes, the tree was desirable to me, she took from the fruit and ate. In other words, it would have even been good for her to say, we're not supposed to touch it, we, we don't even look at it. So don't, let's not make a deal out of Eve failing in this, okay? So go back up, please. I should probably have the controller. Um, the serpent said to the woman, well, he sees it as devious, boy. Has God said you can't eat any of the tree? He sees that failed. So now he's like, okay, I'm going to just take it right on, right? And he says, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Now, right here, we see a direct contradiction. God said you will surely die. Satan says you will not die. Now, who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust the word of God or are you going to trust the word of Satan? God says homosexuality is an abomination to him. Our culture says it's just simply another manifestation of gender identity that is there from birth and that is good. Who are you going to trust? God says you shall not commit adultery. Man says, yeah, but I'm out on the road. My wife will never know. Who are you going to trust? God says you shall not Rebel against your parents. You shall honor them and obey them. But your friends say, oh, come on, go out with us. They'll never know. Climb out of your window, you know. We can have a good time tonight. God says, wives, submit to your husbands and everything. Your pastor says, well, that was back then, but this is now. Who are you going to trust? You're going to trust the word of God or you're going to trust the word of Satan? And Satan comes to us in unbelievable diversity of forms. He comes to us through our pastors. He comes to us through our wives. He comes to us through our children. He comes to us through professors. He comes to us through our president. He comes to us through books. Here we have the battle joined and it's clear. You will die, is what God said, verse 3. The serpent said, you surely will not die. That's the contest. Now, what is true about God? If you can flip it to the next one, please. Here is what is true about God. God does not lie. Okay? The Bible says to us about God in... Um, Titus 1.3, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of the what? Of the truth, which is according to godliness, truth and godliness go together, 
in the hope of eternal life, which God, who what? Cannot lie. Promised long ages ago. Truth, truth, truth is God. Now, what does it say about Satan? The Bible says Jesus was confronting the religious leaders of his time. And they had claimed to be sons of God. And Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So here we have the battle joined. You will die, and he says, no, you won't die. And Eve has to make a choice. Now, if she had decided that she was going to submit to and honor and obey the word of God, what would she have done? Well, she would have done what God had commanded her and her husband to do, which is to take authority over all creation. And she would have silenced the mouth of the serpent who was subservient to her under her authority because she is made in the image of likeness of God and the snake isn't. And so it's not just that, that Satan is coming at Adam through Eve. <laughs> He's coming at Eve through an animal. I mean, was, was, was Balaam... At the top of his game, when his ass spoke to him, no. Generally, if God speaks to you through an animal, it's not commending you, right? And if Satan comes to you through an animal, it's your job to silence the animal. And Eve didn't silence the animal, but she listened to the animal. And she listened to the lies Satan was giving her through the animal. And what did she do? And one other thing. Notice that Satan says, you will not surely die. And then he says, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And we must understand here that at the center of Eve's fall is her desire to not be limited by the limits of knowledge God had ordained. Now, think about that. I don't want you to pass over that. Much of your life, you're going to be tempted to try to figure out things that God has been pleased not to tell you. Why do you think people go to tarot cards readers? Why do you think they go to spiritists? Why do you think they have their palms read? Why do you think people try to summon the dead? Why do you think they play the Ouija board? All these things are, are an effort to, not, to know things God has chosen not to not know it. And that is the definition of philosophy. <laughs> David Talca doesn't hear anymore, so I can say it. <laughs> But what is philosophy but an attempt to know the origin of good and evil, right? And so you just go on and on and on trying to plumb the depths of the universe and figure out why evil exists. If God is good, why does evil exist? If God is good, why does death exist? 
If God is good, why does child abuse exist? If God is good, why does adultery, why does jealousy, why does envy, why does greed, why do lies exist? If God is good, why did Eve sin? If God is good, why did God allow Satan to tempt her? And what does the Bible say? Why did God allow Satan to tempt Eve? That's what it says. That's what it says. And so all these attempts to somehow salvage God's reputation by explaining that man had to have free will in order to love God freely. You know, remember Jürgen a couple weeks ago. You know, this was in my brain. That's why I went to him and I said, no, 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 don't say that. Why? Because God has not said it. We don't say things God doesn't say. You know, if you think about it, we have a lot of what God did say. And it's very curious that we spend our time trying to figure out where evil came from and why suffering exists when God hasn't told us. And yet everything he has told us, we're unbelievably good at cultivating ignorance of what he has told us. This is to have our attention. And in the case of Eve, she was to focus on what God had said, which is the day you eat of it, you will die. It was a very simple proposition. That one tree in the middle of the garden, the day you eat of it, you will die. You may not eat that tree. And Satan says, ah, no, you won't die for God knows. In other words, you know, God's a little insecure. You know, God sets up rules so that he has his perquisites and they're not threatened. God doesn't want you to be equal. God doesn't want you to know what he knows. And Eve says, you know, that's true. Why should I have to obey something that I don't understand? You know, if I'm going to be told no, I want to know the reason. But why, mommy? Why? Why? Why, mommy? Why, daddy? And foolish parents are busy as beavers trying to explain why. But I had a wise mother. And you know what my mother said to me? (laughs) I'll bet Joel said it to you too. (laughs) My mother said to me, because I said so, that's why. And my mother knew at that point it was about her. It wasn't about logic, it wasn't about justifying her commands, it was about who she was. Why? Because she was put in her position of authority over me by God, and God does not explain himself. He said, the day you eat of that tree, you will die. Satan said, no you won't, and furthermore, he doesn't want you to know what he knows. And so Eve has this deception that comes into her brain and she, yeah, yeah, who does he think he is anyhow? And so then she saw that the tree was good for food and you bet it was good for food. Sin has its pleasures and that it was a delight to the eyes. Sin does look pretty and that the tree was desirable to make one wise 
voracious, insatiable appetite for knowledge, right? She took from its fruit and ate. And what happened in that moment? Well, what happened in that moment is explained in 1 Timothy 2 where it says, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And that's in the context of the Apostle Paul explaining the nature of man and the nature of woman. And so every woman has as her birthright knowing that she, in Eve, is susceptible to deception. <laughs> that's the point. It was the woman who was deceived, the man wasn't deceived. Now, that doesn't go over very well today, does it? Does it? It doesn't go over well today because it's viewed as a sexist comment. But you realize every single word of God is foolishness to man and every single wisdom of God, or every single word of God is foolishness and every single wisdom of man is foolishness to God unless it's God's wisdom. In other words, from the very beginning of these chapters of Genesis, we have seen that man just flips it upside down. All right? And so it shouldn't surprise us that man doesn't want to dwell on the fact that the Bible says Eve was deceived here. I mean, you would think that you could just read it and know Eve was deceived. Right? And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, a lot of people make a lot out of that word with. And they say, well, it says he was with her, and that means he was with her when Satan was speaking to her. And the answer is no. Satan was not there while Eve was having this deception from Adam. What the word with means is that when she gave to him, he was with her, and that he was with her, bone of my bones, flesh of my wet, and that he was with her in solidarity in her sin. You know, with has a lot of meanings. In other words, Adam and Eve were one. And so when she was done being deceived and she saw the tree, then she gave to her husband with her. So by the time she sinned, her husband was there and her husband received the fruit from her and her husband what? And he ate. Then the eyes. Then. Why? Adam is our federal head. Not Eve. The fall never occurred until Adam ate. The fall never occurred until Adam ate. Now, why do I say this? Well, because this is what Scripture says. Scripture says this. Romans 5.14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam and Eve until Moses. Well, that's not what it says. It says death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. One-to-one -one correlation. Adam, Jesus, Adam, Jesus. The first act, the second Adam. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Both males, Jesus Christ male, Adam male, 
as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And then to nail it home, Romans 5.12, therefore just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sin. One man. In other words, Adam is our federal head. Adam is my federal head, but you'll give me that because I'm a man. Adam is your federal head. If you're a woman, he's your federal head. If you're a little girl, he's your federal head. It doesn't matter what kind of man you are, male or female, Adam is your federal head through one man. Now, why does this matter? It matters because you have to understand that Satan went through the animal to the woman and through the woman to the man, and the reason he went for the man is the man was the federal head, and God had decreed that at the moment the man sinned, the race from that point on would be corrupted and would die. The minute Adam sinned, every human being that's ever existed was in solidarity with Adam by God's decree. And every single one of us lost perpetually any freedom to claim to be victims. We are not victims. David said about himself in Psalm 51, in sin my mother conceived me. So David claims that he is fallen. He is a sinner at the moment of his conception in his mother's womb. This is the nature of the fall. It utterly corrupts every man, every woman, every child, every fertilized egg in the womb the instant it becomes an embryo. And we see this reinforced where then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. They sewed leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And then listen, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They heard the wind, the ruah is the word, the breath, the sound, the rustling. They heard God coming. Walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. How? Through the fig leaves? They've already sown together fig leaves. They thought that they could hide their sin. All of a sudden, they're aware of sin because they're aware they're naked. So they take the fig leaves, they sew them together, and they put them on their loins, okay? And they think they're hidden. They think God can't see their privates. God can't see their sin. God can't see their guilt. God can't see their shame, right? But all of a sudden, when God comes in the garden, it doesn't seem to be enough, does it? Because having the loincloths on made of leaves, they do what? They hide themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Isn't that something? It's such a perfect description of all the talk of homosexuality around the world today. We're just so determined 
to hide our sin from God and deny it exists. So we sew loincloths for ourselves, we call it gender identity, and then we sew more, we say, well, we're, we're monogamous in our relationship as two men. And then we sew more, we say, well, we're in a covenantal relationship, and then we sew more, I'm going to be married, and then we say to the Christians, you bring me flowers and cakes, and I want insurance, and I want to be able to inherit, and I want to be on the health insurance plan. And you just see our whole society trying desperately to sow fig leaves on a sexual perversity that everybody knows is a sexual perversity. There's not an ounce of doubt in anybody's mind that homosexuality is a violation of God's holiness. There's not one person in this world that has any question that homosexual practice is a violation of the holiness of God. I will say it again. There is not one person on the face of this universe who does not know at his deepest core that homosexuality is a violation of the holiness of God. Shall I say it again? Not one person. And you know how you know? You know because of how incredibly zealous everybody is to deny that homosexuality is a violation of the holiness of God. What is the one thing you know about an atheist? The one thing you know about an atheist is that he believes in God. (laughs) Because he's so zealous to deny that God exists. You know the old Shakespeare quote, Methinks the lady doth protest too much. Right? Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that adultery is a man's destruction of those who are most precious to him. When a man commits adultery against his wife, he commits adultery not just against her, but against her parents, against her brothers and sisters, against his sons and daughters, against her children. He commits adultery against unborn generations that will come after him. Everybody knows that theft is a violation of the holiness of God. Everybody knows that jealousy is a violation of the holiness of God. Everybody knows that vengeance is his. He is appointed, it says the Lord. Everybody knows that bitterness is a violation of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And yet everybody is so zealous to sew up fig leaves and then get behind the trees. All right, are you all with me? We know. But I'm going to say something to you. Every person who denies that homosexuality is an abomination to God, that's the word in the Old Testament, abomination to God. Every Christian who knows that it's an abomination to God and who plays along with the fig leaves and the trees in any way is a Christian who hates the soul of the homosexual. 
They hate them. And they will not lift a finger to save them. And so when somebody lies to you about the nature of homosexuality, they say, well, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I just remember always wanting men. And we say, well, you you know, um, if you don't act on it, you know, um, you could, you know, you could be a Christian. But you know what he's saying is God made me this way. You know that. He is accusing God. The woman that you gave me, the, the woman, the woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate of it. What does Adam do? Adam is accusing God of being responsible for his sin. Adam is the first victim. Adam is the first sinner. Adam is our federal head. And do you see yourself in him claiming that God made him do it? God gave him the wife, and the wife seduced him to do it. And so it's not his fault. Ever since I've been a little kid, I've desired men instead of women. And you go, well, you know, that must be very hard. Uh, You hate that homosexual, and you don't want to have the conversation with him you need to have. You hate him. You want his approval. You want him to look at you and find a very sensitive human being, a politically correct, because political correctness is, of course, the attempt of people to, to, put, to, to cop a posture as being advocates for victims. That's what political correctness is. And every time you do that, you deny that God is holy and that he has given his commands and that it is the only hope in life and death that we come under his holiness and repent of our sin. Imagine if PCA church planners who have goatees and drink a latte had been there in the garden. And instead of God finding Adam and Eve hiding, they had found Adam and Eve hiding. And they would have said, well, you know, in our scriptures... You know, our God, he, he's, he's told us a story, and, and the story goes like this. God loves even you, right here now with your fig leaves sown behind the trees in all your brokenness. God is graceful and merciful. And he doesn't want to ask you whether you've eaten of that tree because he already knows that. And he's not going to shove your nose in it. And by the way, you want to go, you want to go over to Lenny's and have a brew? And aren't I hip? been reading this statement on homosexuality by a presbytery in the PCA, and they're working on it. Over and over again in this statement, they, they talk about our scriptures. The statement on homosexuality, and, and they talk about our scriptures. What's the point of saying our scriptures? Well, you know what the point is. You have your holy tradition, your religious, and we have our, and, and, and I don't want to make any comments about you, but let me share about our And then it talks about the story of Adam and Eve. The story. Our story. 
You know something? This is not story. This is history. This is factual. This is objective. This every jot and tittle is true. And until heaven and earth pass away, never will these words pass away. And there is no other story. There is only his story. He has put it in his book, and every word of it is true. And all other religious traditions are not simply another set of scriptures with another story. They are a usurper to the authority and glory of God. All the gods of the nations are idols. The Lord made the heavens and the earth. Notice it doesn't say our Lord, although that's implied. It says the Lord. The definite article, singular. There is only one God. And so here we have the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together. Oh, they're so zealous to try to hide their nakedness from God. And made themselves going, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and the woman. The Lord God called to them, right? Because they both sinned. And of course, he would give the woman the full dignity of her own self-determination. But if you look at the Hebrew, what is it? Singular. You. So I walk up to Frank and Anne, and I just act like Anne isn't even there. What have you done? And she says, what about me? What about me? I sin first, don't I count? What have you done? Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you? Singular. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I... Can you imagine any Christian today speaking to people tempted by homosexuality so directly? Where are you? Have you given yourself to intimacy with a man? Is this what you have done? Can you imagine the revival that would go across America today if Christians began to speak like that? So I'll tell you something. The one thing a homosexual man caught in the bondage of lust to other men wants is a man that will look at him and say, have you had sex with a man? It's completely counterintuitive because Satan's a liar. But man, you show yourself not squeamish at all. (laughs) Why? Why are you not squeamish if you're going to talk to somebody about homosexual acts? Because you know yourself. Because you know your sin is every bit as bad. And so you're willing to take responsibility for his sin because you've taken responsibility for your sin because you haven't lied about it, because you haven't turned away from it. You haven't thought that you can go into a cave and hide it from God. You haven't put on a loincloth of fig leaves. You haven't hidden behind the trees. You have sung, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. 
You've gone to Jesus stripped bare naked with every sin of your life open to the book of God. And you have said, wash me. Just like Andy said on the men's retreat, three weeks he spent rejoicing after Jesus washed him. Thank God that when God's spirit comes to us, he doesn't mollycoddle us. He's, he's not, there, there, nice boy. God rips us open by his law and shows us until we want to vomit. And that's the experience of every man and every woman and every child. That's who you are. You are fallen, and you know you're fallen, and you, you cannot abide the sin of your life. That's who you are. That's who you are. It's true of women, and it's true of men. It's true of boys, and it's true of girls. It is true of David when he is a fertilized ovum in his mother's womb. And none of this shocks us because we've seen God say to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And every one of us says, yes, I have. But notice the man said, the woman who you gave to me to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Have you eaten of that tree? The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. So he went like this. And so the Lord God went over here and said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. You know what Calvin says at this point? He says they're still trying to cover themselves up. They still think that they can pull it off. They can deny the law of God and the holiness of God. And he says one of the proofs that the fall fall occurred is the fact that philosophers, and he's referring, I'm sure, to the Greek philosophers in ancient Greece, he says the philosophers are unbelievably perceptive about everything except sin. And he says, so the problem isn't perception, wisdom, knowledge. The problem is that the fall has corrupted them so that they do not know that in Adam they fell. And so, this is the account. It's very interesting that... um,
Let me read to you. Uh, some of you know of Bernard of Clairvaux. Any of you know of him? In the Roman Catholic Church, he's referred to as St. Bernard. And wonderful, wonderful man of God uh, back in the 12th century. And Calvin, at this point, in his commentary on Genesis, he quotes Bernard of Clairvaux. And here's the quote he uses. Tell me whether you think he gets this out of context or not, okay? Quote, since we read that a fall so dreadful took place in paradise, what shall we do on the dunghill? In other words, we have this terrible tragedy and fall in paradise, state of perfection. What hope for us is there on top of the manure? And that's so true. Now, one last application and we will go to the Lord's Supper. Because of the fall, Jesus took on flesh and died. It was not possible for us to improve ourselves. It is not possible for a man or a woman or a child to please God such that we can stand in his presence. Romans 3.20, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so the Christian revelation, history, truth, the Christian rock, the foundation of Christianity is God sending his son as the second Adam to be obedient. It had to be corrected. And so Jesus came perfectly obedient to his father, tempted in every way as we are, but without sin. And then when he went to the cross, He himself bore our sins. He had none to bear himself. But he took upon himself our sins and died. In the day that you eat it, you will surely die. And that's why we die. But Christ bore the wrath of his father against us for our sin. And when he bore it, it was a perfect atonement. A perfect payoff, if you will, of his father. Because now we have an Adam who does it right, who is perfect, and who bears the wrath of God against us. That's all Christianity is. You will never, ever place your faith in the Son of Man You will never come to his body and his blood until you see the holiness of God. And none of your loved ones, none of your friends, your roommates, your colleagues, the people that work on the factory floor with you, your parents back in China, they'll never come to the cross and to Jesus.
until they see their sin. And they realize there's no hope for them because they're under the curse of Adam. Don't you dare lie to them. Don't you dare lie to them. There is nothing that can wash them clean except the blood of Jesus Christ. They, if they spend all their lives sewing fig leaves together. Adam talks to me. He's a physician in our congregation. He talks about everybody's on anti-anxiety drugs. Everyone. What's everybody so anxious about? Is it the gluten? No. Why are you anxious? The reason you're anxious is because we see our sin and we can't abide it. And so we can't live with ourselves. And so we medicate ourselves with sex, with pornography, with alcohol, with drugs, with legal drugs, with education, with money, with travel, with Facebook. But the truth is, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus.